Hello and welcome to the Innovation Book Club, the podcast that makes sense of the big ideas that drive creativity and innovation. We're your hosts, Alex Drago and Weiss Bassard, and we believe that while there's never been a greater need for new ideas, perspectives and solutions, understanding exactly what innovation is and how it works has never been more difficult or confusing. So our purpose for this podcast is clear. In each episode, we take an important text from the innovation field, deconstruct it, and then talk through the key ideas to help you develop a more innovative mindset. Right then, so as is customary now, I suppose we're at the end of the second season. At the end of the first season, we did a sort of reflections episode, yeah. which was looking back at, I guess, our, our takeaways. It was a bit unstructured. We tried to provide a bit more structure this time. So what we thought we'd do was just sort of recap briefly the texts that we've looked at and then actually have a, a, a more general conversation. Yeah. Uh, sound like a good idea, Weiss? Yes, definitely. Although I must say that uh, the previous reflection episode from our last uh, first season, I gained, I got feedback from uh, people who also liked it right. <laughs> without the structure. So I think this is, <laughs> so if we do it now more with more structure, let's see what they think about it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't, don't want to lose, uh, don't want to lose the spontaneous uh, sort of elements, I guess. But uh, yeah. a bit of structure to help the insight would be good, I think. Yeah. Um, the first paper we looked at was, was a very academic one, right? Incremental and radical innovation, design research versus technology meaning change by Donald Norman, yeah. Roberto Vaganti, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was dense, wasn't it? Oh, very much. Even if now you mention it, I got <laughs> brain ache. <laughs> like, uh oh. <laughs> At the core of this, right? It's it's the difference between incremental change and radical change why we get stuck on incremental change why we're not very good at radical change i mean that's really at the core of it right so yeah. in that paper they liken incremental design to to climbing a hill blindfold you're just sort of working out where your next steps are yeah but so you get kind of better at what you're doing already but what incremental design will never help you do is jump to another hill. Right. So we put all this emphasis on human-centered design as the only way to, or design thinking to, to, to develop innovations. What they're saying is that, well, that's a form of incremental design. It will never help you jump to a different hill. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the article is about, well, radical innovation is about jumping to that different hill, right? Yeah, right. Where you get another meaning to the technology or industry, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. So so they say to get have that radical shift, you need a technology change, 
and a meaning change. What you're doing with that technology changes and the technology changes itself. doesn't have to be digital, but it typically is digital because digital provides um, uh, uh, ways to increase your scope, your, your, your ability to do actions at, at speed and, and, and at scale, right? Exactly. But the examples they give around Nintendo, Nintendo actually um, used uh, less powerful technology, right, to make it more accessible. The meaning shift that they had was like, well, let's let's make computer games about having family time. Exactly. Yeah. Rather than like, you know, Xbox or PlayStations, which is a third-person shooter, right? They went from the hill where Xbox and PlayStation were to another hill, and it also made them successful in a certain yeah, way. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. They also talk about Swatch within that, so the Swatch watches, which, which were stylish or stylish, fashionable watches, very current, very much of their age. They were developed in the 80s, right? Right all made out of plastic, which stand in complete opposition to traditional Swiss manufacturing, yeah, which is yeah. uh, you know, really high-end you know, products. You know. Making watches and incrementally improving them, so making it more Swiss. <laughs> and yeah, and Swatch was exactly. another, another hill, not incrementally yeah. making a, a more better Swiss watch, but it's like making it available for everyone and <laughs> every uh, country, whatever it is to have a nice looking watch yeah uh, and the the problem that they have at the end of the paper is that nobody really knows how to do radical meaning change yeah radical technology change how you do them together that's that's under research that that's where that sort of um uh leaves off yeah we then looked at jobs to be done by clayton christensen you know, which is uh, a, a you know, very accessible article from uh, Harvard Business Review. Yeah. Their idea is that you know, what they're trying to explain is why innovation doesn't perform well in companies. And what they say is that we're just focusing too much on the product. Product is the output. And we've lost sight of what the product is supposed to do. That's to help people perform a job in their life. Emotional job could be social job, yeah, could be any kind of job, right? But underpinning our decision to use an innovation or to adopt one is a complex set of sort of emotional and social sort of um, uh, drivers that affect our decision making. Yeah. So therefore, focus on the job to be done rather than on the product. Yeah, exactly. I remember they gave an example of a, a condo seller. He That's sold right. uh, condos and his main focus was providing the best features in the condos and try to sell it uh, with uh, the he aimed, I think it was uh, um, downs uh, sizers and That's people right. who went yeah. on uh, on, uh, on retirement uh, or, uh, or, uh, or single parents. And eventually, they couldn't sell any uh, a lot of condos. They went uh, the research, and they found out that a lot of downsizers have a difficulty deciding what to do with their furniture. So they innovated in a way and considered those emotional and social uh, struggles within their product by providing for six months. I think it was uh, I think it was uh, a free uh, 
storage uh, uh, storage uh, for their furniture to decide. And eventually they skyrocketed yeah. in their sales and sold all the condos. <laughs> yeah, it was a sort of dawning realization that much of family life happens about around the dining table, right? Exactly, yeah. Even if it's not for eating, it's for conversations, it's for working, and yet these downsized apartments <laughs> didn't have a dining table. Exactly. <laughs> or a very small one. Yeah. And and somebody made the connection that it's actually not about the table, right? It's about a space where those family engagements happen, and people need a time and space to work that out. Exactly. And that's why the sort of the, the, it worked, because they provided that space. Yeah. I mean, another example was at uh, Southern New Hampshire University, and they uh, reconfigured their support mechanisms for working parents, essentially, people returning to university or returning to education after a long time, gave them mentors, gave them support. It it increased the adoption rate, increased the success rate. They understood the job to be done was yeah it was about getting qualification but that was also contingent upon being able to balance complex family and personal situations yeah yeah that was a good one when when uh, i remember they gave an example of parents who went back to the university next to their jobs and weren't able to pass an exam they wouldn't just uh send them a letter that you didn't pass the exam next time you have to pass it otherwise you will be uh, i don't know let go yeah. it was like more like let's call him provide some help and support how they can pass the exam the next time so yeah. that was really nice they considered yeah. the social yeah. part of the of of education yeah 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 that informed your success right exactly the the next article we looked at was also Clayton Christensen one as was jobs to be done and and it was about disruptive innovation yeah right which is the buzzword of the last decade or so I suppose for for a whole range of of digital innovation and they were basically trying to put the record straight right, right. they were saying everybody's got the wrong end of the stick when it comes to uh, disruption and so. The origins of disruption theory lie in Christensen's observation that good businesses follow all the rules laid out in business school, but they still fail. And he's trying to find out why that is. And what the insight that he develops is that businesses invest their resources in their best customers. Right. And they leave other customers behind. And what happens is that uh, a new entrant will come in, will focus on the needs of those customers that are left behind. They're more agile, they're more responsive, they're more cost-effective. Over time, the quality of those new entrants improves. Eventually, they're able to compete and uh, or out-compete the, the incumbent, uh, and that's when kind of disruption uh, occurs. And with disruption, you can do it two ways, either a low foothold, so a low entry, you know, the cheapest of the cheap or whatever, or it can come from a new market. So so it's like, well, we've got this technology in another part of the sector and we're just going to apply it now in in this existing sector. And, and that's how, that's what supports kind of disruption. Yeah. And they're making the point in that article that Uber is not disruptive. It's um, 
it's it's not come from either a low end foothold. In fact, they started at the high end, want to do limousines, and it's not a kind of new market either. I mean, obviously, taxis have been around for thousands of years in one form, you know, or another. Exactly. Um, but they also talk about you know why disruption matters. You know, because if you're the incumbent, you can find out where. Uh, if you can identify what disruption is, you can you can track it, you can combat it, you can compete against it. You say that disruption is a process. It 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 often results in the building of totally different business models because that's the only way you com- can compete. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what they're talking about. It's a they say ultimately disruption is a lens through which you should view your innovation efforts rather than anything else because you're not guaranteed to succeed right so i mean examples of disruption so smartphones disrupted the pc right exactly yeah yeah you know stuff you used to have to do at a desk you can do it on the phone on tablet yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) so back in the day kind of toyota disrupted the detroit car companies you know yeah so, I mean, that's a big idea, disruption. Obviously, um, it's an uh, it's it's also an, uh, uh, a strategic theory, very important for for companies uh, in order to um, continue their own business. They gave nice examples how uh, big companies can completely be blind uh, about the market and who the player new players are just by assuming because they have the best product and them and the highest paying customers and therefore they are going to be the leaders while yeah. there is a high chance of of uh, of startups being more flexible and that uh, to 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 completely get the whole low ends of the market and eventually becoming so good, more b- better than the mature businesses and eventually say bye-bye. So it's a really nice yeah, strategic yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. strategic uh, theory to consider. Yeah, and it goes hand in hand with the jobs to be done theory, right? Yeah, that's completely. The, that's the, the point of it. Yeah. Um, the next one we looked at was scenario planning. Nice one. So that was uh, Woody Wade's uh, book, Field Guide to the Future. And... What what scenario planning essentially addresses is is the tyranny of the present, right? That that what we do is we extrapolate from where we are now and and, and sort of suggest that the future is going to look exactly like the present, only a bit more so or only a bit less so. But actually, what happens day to day, we don't notice a change. But when you look ten years down the road, actually everything has changed. So. You need an informed business planning process yeah. that tries to take that into account. And what scenario planning does is is tries to anticipate um, the, the future rather than predict it. It just says, you know, can you identify the main drivers of your business, and can you identify four scenarios, and then how do you react to those? How do you monitor them? Yeah. Um, so a useful tool, I think, to complement other forms of strategic thinking. You know, you do your SWOT, you do your PESTLE, you do all that sort of stuff. But the scenarios actually puts that in a, in a much better context, uh, I feel. Yeah, and I remember talking about it that it's not about uh, predicting. Predicting the future is more about considering the, 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 the developments within your current market, whether it's 
it's startups, whether it's people experimenting and uh, and and gaining some news, whatever it is within your industry, considering all those factors, because the through the course of time, the combination of different factors could lead to a change in market. Right. So therefore, uh, this this what I remember about this theory is like, don't. It's not about prediction. It's more about considering all those players and all the things happening in your industry now and try to tr- keep track of them in order to prevent any disruption or prevent any loss of business, whatever it is. So that's a really yeah. nice um, nice way to deal with uh, with disruption or change in business. And because I assumed, I remember, I still assumed, and I, I, back then I assumed it was about prediction, but while it's not the case at all. No, no. Dream it's just sure. trying to put you in a better place, right, to understand yeah. the changes that are happening. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you put them in a kind of annual or a biannual or however it is process whereby you're constantly kind of looking ahead, adjusting, uh, uh, and so on. Yeah. We then switch from a heavily analytical tool to a very personal one. We looked at onlyness, the power of onlyness, make your wild ideas mighty enough to dent the world by, by Nilifer Merchant. Right. Yeah. And, you know, her, her idea is, you know, we're running out of ideas. Right. If you produce a commodity, you know, it's, Somebody will do it cheaper and better than you will. So, you know, how do you respond? And she's saying, well, ideas are intrinsically human things. So the problem that we have is that the hierarchies we've created, what we attribute success to uh, or the people to which we attribute success come from too narrow a field. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that, narrow field produces the same ideas and so actually what we need is a way to support people to develop their own ideas and that's what she says you know onlyness is you're standing in only one place in the world that only you can stand in you have a viewpoint that only you can have a viewpoint Uh, and by sharing and socializing your ideas that's more likely to lead to success, right? It's a very powerful concept, um, but uh, certainly doesn't align with, you know, the, the 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 standard entrepreneurial journey. Or oh, I had a genius idea, and everybody was amazed at my idea that they just immediately adopted it. And um, you know, so she's saying that you know. Uh, what we need to do is, yeah, develop your idea, develop your sense of onlyness, socialize that, find a network, get feedback, then find ways to actually um, uh, develop it. Yeah, she gave nice examples of uh, of her own also, how she came to, I think she has also a successful business past. Yeah. Um, had several companies, I think, or was leader of several companies, how she eventually found value in her uniqueness by uh, the social environment the new social environment she 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 came into after leaving her her, her home so yeah. that eventually made her grow as a person and lead to new ideas and and they're her own successes yeah. she gives yeah. and that's and that's that was a really nice one yeah 
Yeah, it's a very powerful concept. Um, but, you know, at the heart of it, she says, is kind of power limits or liberates ideas. Therefore, the power to change is social, not personal. Yeah. And if you lack social standing as yourself, you lack the power to enact change. So therefore, you have to kind of act on your onlyness, socialize those in some ways, and, and that will help to give birth to kind of new ideas, really. Yeah, nice one. So it, it's, it's a really nice narrative. Yeah. And she in the book, she does give very, you know, um, uh, good examples that the, the one it springs to mind is Franklin Leonard, right? Who, who did the movie list of movies that should be commissioned, but nobody wanted to commission them anonymously. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because they thought their bosses didn't want to commission them. And it turned out, well, actually what we needed to, to, for better storytelling was to socialize this idea that there are great stories out there. They're just different to the stories exactly. that, that the, the networks are already producing. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's a, that was a good one. Can't remember yeah. more. But yeah. Yeah, then then we looked at the diversity bonus. So how great teams pay off in the knowledge economy by Scott Page. Yeah. You know, which which again is another sort of very powerful idea, sort of overlaps, I think, with the idea of onlyness. Yeah. Um, but it, what he's saying is that you know, simple systems uh, don't require diversity, but complex systems do. And the more complex the system, the more diversity you need in order to actually solve solve the problem. And he, you know, it's very mathematical, you know, and, and uh, uh, he has this diversity prediction theorem. You can actually calculate um, the crowd error when a crowd submits a wider range of responses to a problem. Um, uh, you know, the average error of the crowd is minus the diversity of the crowd. So they've actually tested that in, in various sort of ways. I think most importantly, he talks about two types of diversity or visible diversity. So, you know, the things we see are, are, are gender or ethnicity, you know, our age, you know, our, our sexual preference. And then he talks about cognitive or identity diversity, which is the, the the things that are internalized. So how how has our experience led us to see the world in a particular way? And obviously, what we need are both types of diversity. We we don't need visible diversity that happens to reflect the same old set of values. Right. We, we need uh, different forms of, of cognitive diversity because that will give us the diversity that we need to, to solve the problem. Yeah, I remember uh, in, in the videos we watched, he, uh, he gave uh, as well as quantitative as qualitative examples how diversity was proven to, act, to create value. Or add value yeah. within a problem solving, uh, within problem solving in any field, mathematics. Mathematics. He he showed how diversity uh, um, um, has value in statistics, in, in in investments, whatever it is. It was the constant factor which um, created value or solved problems. The or the main factor or the impactful factor was was diversity. That was yeah. nice to yeah. see. Yeah. 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 The final paper we looked at was ideas are born in fields of play. 
towards the theory of playing creativity in organizational settings. Right? Yeah. A couple of academics. And they're talking about play in in organizations manifest itself in two ways. Either as a form of engagement with, with work, it increases our ability to do the work better. Yeah. Or a form of diversion from work tasks, you know, allows us to endure work right. <laughs> because it's so... <laughs> mind-numbing and boring right right and what they're saying is that you know there's been lots of things lots of research about play everybody kind of acknowledges play is important but nobody's trying to to brought it together and into a coherence kind of theory that's what they're proposing right you know they they talk about play it has certain characteristics and uh, you know we're, we're pass over into a different uh, a different kind of universe, as it were, with a different set of rules, different set of boundaries. We loosen up some of the certainties, create a bit more freedom, less constraint. We loosen up the idea of the relationship between ends and means. Yeah. Um, you know, we allow the emotion, the more positive emotions to contribute to that. And that then allows us to generate better ideas generate uh, better ideas helps to create better innovations but uh, i think the, the kind of weakness of that was that they don't they don't really say well how do you go about doing that yeah they just you know they acknowledge it's important they've brought these things together but but really i suppose it's up to individual companies to to be able to find the way that they harness play that works for them. Yeah, I agree with that. I I remember it was a heavy academic paper. Yeah. <laughs> Extensively talking about the theories of play and all those different dimensions of it. And I indeed had the same experience as, okay, what is the business relationship with it? Well, yeah. What does that mean in business? And what does that mean in terms of, or in personal uh, uh, life? How can I do it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And, but still, an interesting article to to have thoughts how have thoughts or at least think about how play could contribute to new ideas. Yeah, yeah. So they're the papers we kind of looked at. Um, you know, is there a particular one, or there are two or three, or something that have resonated with you particularly? I mean, we've kind of. We record like maybe, you know, once a month or something like that, you know, once every three, four weeks or something. Right. Mm. There's a bit of time for reflection, certainly on the earlier ones. But, right. uh, you know, are there, are there ones that have particularly resonated with, with you in any particular way? Well, through the course of, uh, of our um, recordings, um, I must say that the parts of uh, different uh, uh, papers we uh, read and talked about, the parts, the social part and um, of it stuck by me. It was more um, uh, in my job also. I, I saw, I recognized a lot of those uh, social parts we talked about in different papers. Um, and so, for example, the jobs to be done, they say uh, the social, consider the social and emotional part within problem solving or creating value or the onlyness, uh, socialize your question or your uniqueness to gain value or success, whatever it is. 
or the diversity bonus is like the social part and the social aspects of some human. It's like not only the visible diversity or cognitive diversity. And what I saw is the combination of all those social things, I saw value within my job. So, right. so my manager, for example, changed a few months ago and my manager, um, I remember she said, why not combining all the minds of our team together to, to solve problems much quickly and with more value. And that resonated a lot with me. And I liked also that, uh, that it connect, was connected to all those papers we read. So, so the part, the social and emotional part from the papers resonated a lot with me because I, in practice, I could see the value of it. Right. And, um, and I also practiced it, I must say. I experimented w- with it by, by, I normally, if I would have an idea, I would go s- directly to my manager and say, this is my idea. Uh, I think we should do this to solve this problem. What I did through the course of time uh, discussing these papers in our podcast was if whenever I would have an idea, whether it was someone within our team or outside of team within the same same domain uh, of our uh, of our work, I would ask their opinion. Like, right. this is my idea. What do you think about it? What is your perspective on this? And I must say, before uh, s- such conversation, I doubted whether I would gain any value from the conversation. But through right. the course of conversation, I found out that there were perspectives I didn't even th- think about, which really helped me into fine-tuning my idea eventually. Yeah. And that yeah. really helped me. And that's the part of the papers that resonated with me a lot. So that's kind of socialization aspect. Yes. Nilfa Merchant talks about. Yes, uh, yes. About sharing ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. And what about you? Well, the one that jumps out is um, the scenario planning. So, you know, my job involves writing business cases right. for public health work. Right. And um, I work with some people who have some strong opinions about what good public health works. Right. <laughs> like. And actually what I did was that I used the scenario planning process to help them to see outside of their own expertise. Right. So used it as a means of better exploring how the the wider landscape is changing. Yeah. And so moved away from public health being a set of activities you do within a very defined environment to public health as a set of expertise that has application in multiple environments. Mm. And, And so by doing the four scenarios, people were better able to see what that application looks like in different areas. Right. And they, they still have their preference, I guess. But, um, you know, thankfully the professor I work for, she's like, yeah, I totally get that now. <laughs> nice. I totally get it. We, we, need to, we need to be looking at this direction. We need to be looking at that direction. And so it's given us sort of four key areas to work on. I suspect what will happen in, in, in the, you know, in the, in the, 
in the wash, as it were, is that, yeah, some things will become more of a focus than others. But it it has already opened doors to explore in other areas, nice. in, in those other scenarios. Right. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's the one that kind of really jumps out. I did actually use some of the play aspects because, as you know, doing a, running any kind of workshop on teams right. is just awful. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. There's no empathy. There's you know, you can't read people's body languages, no. you know, and all that sort of stuff. So actually for some things I split them I split them up into like mini games. Right. And it just helped to loosen some things up a, a, a little bit, right? And and gave much more structure um, to the conversation, kind of broadening things out, narrowing them down again, making people you know choose a preference and so on and so on. Gave a, a, a kind of um, a lot more shape to the actual engagement kind of uh, activities. Well, could you give an example? Maybe of, uh, I, I, uh, I remember the five characters. So, for example, threshold experience or uncertainty. Yeah. Freedom. Could you give an example? Uh, let's see now. Let me just get them up here. So, I actually used, you remember in the first season we talked about the, the Warren Burgers questions? Right. I constructed a range of questions right. based on uh, what if, uh, what were the what if, how might we, and what, I can't remember. Yeah, it was one. what if and how, and how, uh, how might we, and then it was um, how to what if and how might we, and then, I, I don't know, it, the last one was uh, the action part or something. Yeah. Anyway, I used those and constructed little games out of those, ah. which 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 force people to think outside of this is my role within this organization, and try to to help them to see that shift from public health as a set of outputs that I do right. to to public health is is a range of expertise that could be applied in other areas. Mm. And so I used the, the Warren Burgers questions, especially the how might, how might we, or what if, what if this was applied here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How might we actually do that? Yeah. Uh, uh, and, you know, used, used ones like that, obviously set it up so that, people knew it was kind of a game we were playing that that nothing here was set in stone yeah. and was going to be subject to all kinds of you know in, you know later decision making and so on and so on right yeah, yeah um yeah. so they weren't big things you know i didn't get the lego series play out or anything like that <laughs> it was you know it was simple simple kind of games um nice. uh, that that they could see how they added up to a kind of bigger whole, right, right, and right. it stopped people from uh, going into like, well, I'm the expert, I know about X mode. <laughs> this is how this is how we do it, right? I mean, I think that's the <laughs> that's the that's probably the key one. Nice. I mean, I I've used a. Li- 
I guess a little bit of the jobs to be done one right in that well if if you're applying this expertise in different areas what's the job that people are trying to do with it right and um you know what what does that mean in terms of their education that they require because I work in in that kind of educational field what's more relevant a formal accredited qualification or ongoing development which is the you know which is the more important where does the resources lie because that's linked to the job that they actually have to be done right so use that one a bit and i didn't talk about disruption but i did talk about with the team about relevance how right. do we make this set of expertise more relevant mm-hmm. and what might happen for it to become less relevant well that's a good one and so so it it wouldn't be disrupted right because it's it's public sector you know yeah. <laughs> you know it's 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 not the same set of competition but there is obviously internal political battles about you know where investment goes and so on and so on so I sort of sh- shrouded it in those sort of terms that's a good uh, one you know so I sort of dropped into kind of bits you know bits of them yeah in terms of work what about on a kind of personal level? Are, are there because I know you told me you started journaling and things like that. Did any of that journaling kind of reflect anything that we'd read, or well, or was it you know different? It it did. Um, in my journaling, I I I journal now less because I um, think about the relevance and the value of the things I experience. It's like uh, I used to journal every day 20 minutes or almost right. uh, every other day, but uh, I thought about it's about the quantity you do and it's about the quant- the, the frequency of journaling. Right. Now I'm like, no, that's not about that. It's about um, the the experience itself and whether my mind is clocked and needs some journaling to right. unclog it. Right. And now I'm like, um, the emotional parts um a social parts of for example the jobs to be done i consider a lot as well as my uh, as my, uh, within my job and in my personal life i'm questioning myself like okay what is the job i'm trying to do right. <laughs> like i'm right, busy right. with this okay what is my job <laughs> what is the goal and what do i want to achieve and, and it's sometimes i want to say it leads to interesting conversations <laughs> with my fiance or family <laughs> like um i don't know uh, it, uh, let me see it was a conversation with my family about a, a party and they were right. constantly talking about food 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 and they've completely <laughs> They completely forget about the purpose of the party, which was, which was uh, the birthday of my nephew. Right. And they're talking, man, let's eat this uh, kebabs, let these, uh, let's make these dishes, and let's eat and drink and these, let's order or no, let's make it ourselves. So they were complete. And suddenly, I remember <laughs> in the conversation, I was like, guys, I want to say something. Everybody went quiet. It was about 20 people. I said, so basically, we're talking two hours now what to eat. Did we even question that boy <laughs> that sits in the corner of this room <laughs> what he wants to have? Because I think the job of that, party is to entertain 
the, the in the first place <laughs> my nephew <laughs> like that's the job we have to do entertain him and then entertain the family and then like if there is some food that's great but you guys reverse that <laughs> the food is the most important <laughs> <laughs> and they were like no wise the, the conversation went eventually somewhere else they said like no wise he's going to be entertained he is going to be there with other nephews so <laughs> let's talk about food again <laughs> but well it's because it's a kind of culture right yeah, where yeah. <laughs> food <laughs> is the is the manifestation the expression of the 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 feelings that you have for the family right <laughs> exactly people are wondering about saying i love you and da, da, da. but the spread of food is representative of the of the uh, strength of the relationships right yeah and, that is true know, and that sort of stuff <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and, and, and besides that um especially during this season i don't know it, it was i think it was because of the discussions we had i think in my personal and in my job i tend to question more now i don't right. just accept the answers now and even if i if my answer even if my question is answered then i try to uh, proceed with questioning just to make sure I have covered all the perspectives around a problem right. or a subject. So within my uh, um, family, so um, sometimes I have family members, they start uh, having uh, really serious discussions about this is my opinion and we should do this and this and this. And the other side of my family is like, yes, we know we should go into di this direction. And suddenly now I'm like, not engaging with those discussions but right. uh, just putting a question uh, <laughs> within it more like okay guys I would i'm confused and could you guys tell me what the problem is or what the actually goal is of all of this whole, whole discussion and they look at me and they and i get two answers from the one side they're like no it's about the party and the other side for example no it's about the food and the importance of a relationship with outside people and so suddenly it makes them <laughs> look that they're completely talking about two different things with each other so it's really funny to experience that now yeah, yeah. and i don't start a stop with that i proceed with questioning and even and, and now i see i i it helps me to understand uh, uh family uh, matters and in my job i also makes me an, enables me to understand more the underlying reasons why things happen in a certain way right so that's the the outcome also uh in this season i think for me so you're also about to start a new job right yes that's correct i, I wonder if if the discussions we've had the articles we've read and stuff have also contributed to your decision making <laughs> about yeah it's time to move on and do something differently or... well it has that's a good question actually it it definitely has because our conversations or the theories we read in my opinion were focused on the core value and the core places where you could trigger or start uh, uh start going into the route to create value or discover the value right and by looking into different perspectives and by questioning the goal the job whatever it is all those theories and 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 thoughts and we discussed it made me question myself it made me question right my job or the reasons why i go to this job or the reasons why i choose this job the reasons why i should proceed in this job right. and it eventually led to led me without um 
actively doing it uh, in a passive way i started um, searching new companies finding meaningful um, companies or meaningful jobs and i i remember i applied um, at different places and suddenly here I got conversations with recruiters. They were like, "Okay, what is your name? What is your experience? What do you do?" Yeah. And you, uh, and and it's it's correct, right? <laughs> that you have this and this and this experience, right? And they were questioning just to fill the gap. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I do remember that the way I I'm going to work at a company called AG5, which is focused on uh, skills matrices. They have built a system around that. Right. And the way I came into contact and eventually how it how i how a job landed uh, for me was i messaged um, the ceo through linkedin like hey i like your company i like the problem you're solving i'm currently solving right. the same problem what i'm curious about is whether you are uh, whether you, you guys have job openings now to right. Uh, because I like to do, uh, I like to solve this the same problem for other companies, and he messaged me back like, okay, this is the first message I've I've got that is different than all of those other thousands of messages I'm getting from job offers or job uh, seekers. And he and I started the conversation with him, and um, uh, more from the point of view of a problem. And the solution, how he solved it, and how I solved it. I solved it right. with with Excel, and he solved it with a system he has built. Right. And um, the problem was basically making sure people are um, are 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 growing within their skills within the jobs they have. And he solved it with a system. And through the conversations with him, it took about I think three months uh, to have uh, eventually uh, get to eventually get a job. But it took about three conversations with him. And two conversations with uh, with uh, some team members of the company, where I go, where I'm in the team from the team where I am going to work in, um, which eventually led me to the to a job, right? And it wasn't it was it is completely different through the standard process of getting a job, <laughs> but yeah. the the starting point was the meaning and the questions I asked myself through uh, because of the, our discussions about all these different topics and articles we read. Yeah, yeah, that helped me definitely a lot. Just yeah, just sort of general questioning about the value of ideas, right? Exactly. I mean, you know, are yeah, are you questioning it. yourself more? In yeah, I think that's true. I um, I think that is true. So yeah, before we started recording, you know, I talked about with you about that kind of made some tentative inquiries about doing a PhD, right? right on a, around disruption around disruption of museums and sort of business model transformation and and things like that right which I'd sort of dabbled in I did I did um write the first draft of a book about 3 years ago which was focused on similar subjects right but was less um I had a very curious response to it I I I, I got bunch of people to read it right half the people loved it and half the people hated it and i was trying to work out for a couple of years ago why people why that was the case and right. particularly why did people hate it because yeah. it's like you, you write this thing and it's like well i'm trying to be helpful why is there such a violent you know response to it <laughs> 
and that, that I've I've mulled on that for a long time, and but it was kind of the papers we've read and things like that that have have sort of pushed me on to, I suppose a a, a deeper and a different way of thinking about what innovation is. Right, it's not it's less about a set of processes and I think more about a it's about how we see the world. And then, uh, as Nilifer Merchant talks about, well, how do we socialize that? And so right. on and so on. So I, I just, you know, I, I guess having talked to a few people about doing the PhD, that, that's essentially what I'm doing, right? I've got a gut idea about this. This is the way that I see the world right. for a number of different reasons. Right. The nature of the sector is that they just won't accept it. Right. What I need is the academy to say these ideas have credibility yeah. and to help socialize those ideas. Mm. And so that's, so that's where I've got, but I guess the one, that, the one paper that's really helped, apart, apart from the Nilfer Merchant one, is the, was actually the first one about meaning change. Right. And, and about how value propositions are about meaning right you are you are creating a business model that represents a certain kind of meaning right right and that's forced me to question the core assumptions about what informs a museum's value proposition and business model and whether it's still relevant and then how do you go about changing it right that's a nice one actually so yeah, so it's quite tangential and a bit fluid at the moment, but um, I mean the next step, obviously, I have to write a proposal and take it around, shop it around, yeah. and things like that. But yeah. that's a whole other thing. But that one has had a yeah, it has had a had has had an impact. Yeah, uh, and I think yeah, ideas around disruption, around jobs to be done uh also inform that but also things like diversity right My, museums are not diverse places and the products they presume are not diverse right. and yet the world is only becoming ever more diverse yeah, exactly <laughs> so so we, something has to give yeah <laughs> somewhere we have to find some way to change it yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's kind of where my thinking is sort of at uh you know uh at the moment and um yeah you know, like i said to you before we started actually the, the struggle is about is this a business phd or is it a kind of museology phd and that's the bit that's still got to be kind of worked out right yeah that is true that's really nice yeah that so that good insights i think from from the papers i mean uh it's one thing to read it. It's another thing to prepare and do the podcast. And it's something else to then reflect on it. Yeah. And it's something else entirely to start implementing it with, Completely. Your, with your work, right? <laughs> well, the way we record our podcast and talk about it in three weeks or four week cycles, I think yeah. it helps us to let it sink in our brains, yeah. think about it, reflect about it passively, actively. Yeah. And, and, passively maybe try certain things or actively come become conscious about the theory again and try certain things because i think if we did a podcast 
every week we wouldn't have time to yeah, let it sink in. You're absolutely right. Yeah, <laughs> it would just be about producing podcasts. Right? Yeah, the, the focus was is more on quantity <laughs> than yeah. than meaningful conversations about theories and so on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think that that's a good insight. Yeah. Yeah. Are there ones that you've just thought, oh, this is just nonsense? Well, the a- a- papers you just thought, oh, this is nonsense. Well, I don't know if it's. I haven't con- concluded that it's nonsense, but I have concluded that's really difficult to understand. Right. It's the ideas of born and fields of play. All oh, right. Yeah, it was yeah, really yeah. difficult for me to follow their point within their paper. It was like, this is their point, starting point, but they're explaining it in detail. So I have to hold that oh, point in yeah. my thought. And then like after 20 sentences, they were connecting a point with another point. I'm like, oh, okay, this is the reason it's connected, yeah. how it's connected. And the end of the paper, I was like, okay, what now? What does that mean for me? <laughs> what can I do with it? I'm like, okay, thank you for <laughs> for making me read <laughs> so much and then eventually having not directly some tools to do something. Yeah. yeah. I, I wonder, maybe in the next season we can follow it up, but I did find another paper, which was probably the one I was looking for in the first place right. and I managed to confuse myself. But it was about... Um, if you want an innovation culture, right, you have to integrate play within it. Right, play gives birth to new ideas. If it's if it's directed in a certain way, that then gives rise to innovation. But you have to socialize that process in order to have an innovation culture, right. which is continually kind of churning out new ideas. Otherwise. It's like Facebook, right? We always come back to Facebook. <laughs> it's like we've got this idea and now we have to stick with this idea forever because that's how we make money. And if there's a competitor, we'll just come up with a how to buy it. Rival yeah, buy it or do exactly the same thing to um yeah. to stave off disruption, right? Well, um well because because the word play and the way they describe play could be interpreted in different ways. The reputation of the word play could be differently for every single job, industry, work, organization, whatever it is. It makes it difficult to understand what now the the practical things are to do within your job. Yeah. So, so I'm like, okay, if you le- if you if you read, for example, the first article, the incremental and radical innovation or jobs to be done, you understand yeah. it's about a set of questions and whatever it yeah. is. But this is this one is like, okay, what is the question? So, what is the yeah. step do I need to take? What's the ana- what is the analysis part? What do I have to do? I understand this is the theory, this is the play, these are yeah, the dimensions. Yeah. And the the the, first, the next step is missing. <laughs> yeah, I mean they may well have followed that up, right? I don't know when the paper was published. Yeah, that's like, true. That's almost fifteen years yeah. ago or something. They may well have sort of followed that up, but um, but that that directed play. I think we understand that kind of you know the the in startups, right? The idea of a startup is you're searching for a business model that will support your idea. Yeah. You know, you you try, I've got this idea, does it create a coherent value proposition? Can I generate 
you know, income from it. Yeah. That's what you're doing. You're agile, you're moving about, you're chopping and changing things until until you find one that works and then and then you lock it down. And then you do all the things that 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 good businesses do, right? You outsource the stuff that's not important. Um, you know, you keep your costs low, you reduce the time between um uh uh, delivery and receiving payment and right. on all those kind of things that you would, you would learn right. on, on your MBA. And that's Christensen's point, right? That, but the, the, what we haven't yet developed is the, I suppose in, in, in Norman and Vaganti's terms is how, how do you, do those meaning-based shifts. So w- at what moment did Nintendo decide right. we, can't, we can't compete with Sony and, and Microsoft? Or we don't need to compete with Sony. Right? Or we don't need to compete. You're right, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, so what was that just the same process they go through they draw their swath they draw their pestle yeah exactly <laughs> yeah know. exactly how did they they came to that point <laughs> alexa stop <laughs> i don't know what's uh <laughs> i don't know what triggered yeah. that <laughs> okay so yeah i'm also curious how um, what was the process that's let Nintendo came to that point of that they thought to go to the next hill. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Is it is it inherent in the company or did they have some crisis situation, right? Or is it change of personnel? Is it the system <laughs> that they used in order to yeah. come up with ideas? Because that's what we like. We like system or here you go, is your design um sprint system right you'll if you just follow the system you get to better ideas well well you'll probably get to incremental ideas more quickly right because that's probably the mentality right so what's the you know is there is play such an important thing that it will help you to make those significant insights that, that will lead to a big organizational shift right that's the bit yeah. we're missing yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly and and is that also the part from the radical innovation article which you're missing yeah i think so i mean ultimately i think that you know we've We've talked about innovation a lot, obviously, because we do the podcast, but we talked about innovation before we did the podcast, right? Right. And and we saw it as a set of tools, essentially, right? Different way of doing things. But you know from your experience, and I know from my experience, and we've read a lot of stuff, right, that actually it's always the human insight that makes the difference. (laughs) That's the starting point, whatever tool or method you choose. And, And so... Yeah, what's the point of the tool? Well, it, 
yeah, it maybe gets you from A to B a bit more quickly, right? Or maybe very quickly, and it helps to build buy-in and it improves ideas. And, you know, they're all valuable things. But unless we are, unless there is that system that is supporting the the things that Stephen Johnson talked about right way back in the day when we did the first one about where good ideas come from. Right. Then we're probably going to struggle for the ideas. Yeah. Yeah, I think so because I agree. It comes down to the human insight, which is the starting point for every tool you want to use. And the tool, I agree with you, and the tool makes it, helps you to make it practical, an idea. Yeah. And um, and the ideas, we shouldn't forget that ideas isn't about creating value for organizations or for a system or for a process. It's basically humans thinking about doing things and try to connect uh, and trying to do it for other humans with other humans <laughs> yeah, yeah it's constantly about humans 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 and it's about eventually at the end of the day like you said at the end of the day it's about um value basically something that has meaning for others it's like right. hey this is the new alexa <laughs> using alexa as an example <laughs> hey this is the new alexa and if, when they say hey this is new the new alexa uh uh, it's called John, for example. I don't know. This is John. Uh, and when they say this is John, at the core of it, there is some meaning for other people. They thought about it from a human perspective, from their own mind. It's not about like, we need to do this because technology needs it, because this process right. needs it, or system needs it. I agree with you. It's right. definitely a human thing, stays a human thing, and should be considered as a human thing. And I... In my experience, I've had a lot of those moments is when I, I, I f completely forget the human. I right. When I use a tool, I'm like, okay, I use the tool because a technology or a process asks it or within the system of an organization, it's needed. If it's not connected to a human, I would get confused, don't know where the end is and just keep right. myself busy with <laughs> with <Yeah>. developing <laughs> i know what you mean yeah. so suddenly i'm like uh now i'm like no, before, now uh, yeah that's also a thing i have developed in this second season yes more it triggered i think from the first season now more in the second season is like doing meaningful meaningful things and whatever i start i think about okay what is the meaning for others Right. It's not anymore. I have to start That's because my point. job, because my boss says it. Yeah, yeah. So now I'm like at the start, I'm like questioning myself. Okay, what is the meaning for others? At the middle, I'm like, okay, am I still connected with others? At the end, I'm like, did I really create some meaningful value for others? Yeah. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, that's that's a good point. Like that's that service dominant logic, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know. What is the service you provide eventually? Why do you start this process of a new service or improving the service? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is interesting how... how Can you remember our first um, season, how we went through those articles? 
and it led mm-hmm. us to a particular way of reflecting about it right. and the development we went on a personal level and how I think and how what the difference is between the development we went through this second season. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a huge difference, I think. It is. It is actually, which tells you that we're getting better at reflecting on what we're doing. Yeah. And 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 I think we are having our conversations about topics more to the point. Yeah. Of what could be meaningful for others. Yeah. Right. I hope so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's the assumption, indeed. <laughs> Well, I mean, we've said it before, right? That, uh, and I guess this is, this is, it's about us, but it's also about the tools that you use for podcasting, right? It's impossible to get feedback unless somebody's motivated enough to um, say, "Oh, I listened to that. I'm going to write back to you." Right. I mean, why would you? You're just not going to get any feedback. No. I mean, people <laughs> might download it and never listen to it. I mean, we just don't know, right? Yeah. Uh, but you know that's the weakness of the system but you know the reason we started the podcast really was we, we talked about innovation anyway right constantly and and we were like and and the podcast became a means to talk about innovation to hold each other accountable to reading something yeah <laughs> and inform the the conversation right I mean that that's the cognitive element. There's there's also a sort of social element, right? That men don't socialize unless they're doing something together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Women will ring each other up, how are you doing? I'm doing great, blah, blah, blah. This happened and, and they'll happily talk away, right? Yeah. For whatever, you know, evolutionary reason, men can't do that, right? So they invent ridiculous hobbies like making podcasts or <laughs> you know fishing or 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 I, I don't know, train spotting or whatever it might is might be right dungeons and dragons and all you know they're they're all about socializing men have exactly. to socialize through something yeah. so i think there's probably an element to that and there's probably another element which is like well we're vaguely intelligent people hopefully somebody can get something out of our insight right? yeah yeah that's yeah that's true but the tools don't really allow for that. No. From my perspective also, it, it resonates with, with what you just said, but from my perspective, and from my perspective, it's like we talked about innovation so many times, I think. I don't know if you agree with that. But deep down inside, I was trying to find value within our conversations. Right, right. Meaning yeah. in our conversations, which... I think in the first season we started with the journey of more structured way to have meaningful and valuable conversations. And now at the second season, I think we have grown into having more meaningful and valuable conversations. Yeah. Well, that's true. And it, it should happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is essentially the 16th episode. So you would like to think there's some improvement perhaps. <laughs> from episode one to, 
to episode 60. <laughs> yeah, there should be some things improved, <laughs> whether it's a like personal thing or business thing or revenue, whatever it is, there should be movement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I suppose what it does show is that, yeah, the, the, the learning process, right, which I'm a, a firm believer in the learning process is it has to be transformative if it's just sharing knowledge transactional then yeah, yeah exactly then you, it's not going to go anywhere right yeah and uh, learning has to be uh, uh, based around a cognitive change we see the world differently we engage with it differently we shape it differently you know rather than just here's what you need to know about X, right? Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. You know, and that's that's probably the difference between what we're doing, which is kind of rambly conversation about it, or trying to communicate this cognitive change and another podcast, which is like, here's an expert to tell you about whatever they know about, right? Yeah. To be honest, it's... We talked about before our podcast. It's for me very difficult to listen now, read books, or watch television or Netflix or whatever it is more. And it's more like, why do I do that? What right. is the meaning of those Netflix series? Like there is a new season of uh, this uh, this uh, the series of Narcos or something. I'm like, ex I have with excitement. I've watched everything. Now I'm like, okay, but wow, I need some cognitive challenge or, or or some meaningful <laughs> um, visuals to see or sound or whatever it is otherwise i'm like not I mean, engaged I, I, anymore <laughs> i think that's also a product of the pandemic right it's like we've watched enough mindless <laughs> tv right we're stuck in the same yes. you know four walls i mean fundamentally i mean i was chatting with a friend the other day like yeah, our, our, basically, our social lives have, have changed fundamentally. People are generally less willing to socialize. Yeah. And when they do, generally, we do it in different ways, you know, smaller groups and, and, and more isolated ways, perhaps a shorter amount of time. So there's probably a, a part of what you're experiencing is probably a sort of underlying um, malaise around a change in our social lives and, and you're looking for something that's a bit more substantial, a bit more meaningful. Yeah. And because we're human, we want to place meaning on something. So we're trying to, <laughs> trying to find some meaning from this pandemic, right? So I think that's also playing into it. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, can't deny that. But I've watched a lot of... Um, serious because of the pandemic <laughs> yeah yeah i mean my sanity i think has been saved because they brought the premier league back right, right. <laughs> <laughs> after three months or whatever yeah <laughs> watch some football <laughs> but there we go yeah i mean we're, we're, sorry were you gonna say something no 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 i just wanted to say i think you wanted to say the same we diverted a bit uh, from the topic of today but um um yeah these these articles in my opinion we have read whether it was nice or 
too academic, whatever it was, it contributed to, to I think we could I could say for both of us our perspectives, our our work, our personal lives in a certain way which we benefited from. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but did it did it contribute more because we recorded a podcast about it and we talked it through than just reading it? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, because because that's the important point. Right? Yeah, yeah, the, the, exactly. The reason, the 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 reason is definitely the conversations we have. It's like within this today's, for example, what we have is uh, majority of time we have we're talking about a particular theory, and within the space of one hour, we are deep diving into a theory, trying to connect yeah. it with our lives and our perspectives which enabled us indeed to have different insights compared to when you only read it by yeah. your own. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's when you read it by your own you make your connections, but I think in a conversation you you grow those connections. Yeah. And you go towards other connections and which adds to new insights, I think. Uh, that's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right, well, let's bring this to a close, right? I mean, so that's the end of the second season. Um, you want to do a third season, uh, Weiss? Yes, why not? Yeah, why not? Um, what about you also? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you carry on doing it because it has value, right? Yeah. When it stops some value, you either change it or stop it. <laughs> we probably <laughs> won't, make a, won't make a meeting <laughs> or something. I just don't do it anymore. <laughs> well that's true that's yeah. how we you and i i think now work if we talk about ideas yeah. like yeah that's a great idea and after a few <laughs> days not talking to each other if we don't pick it up it's like we both kind of know it's not <laughs> valuable <laughs> oh, that's that's a fair point <laughs> which is also good it's natural well that's true yeah yeah yeah, yeah. definitely season right three. <laughs> definitely season three we'll be back uh we'll be back soon yes Thanks for listening to this episode of the Innovation Book Club. If you've enjoyed this episode, then you can do three things to help us grow our audience. First of all, please leave us a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice. This helps to feed the algorithm. Second, share this episode with your friends and colleagues if you think they would benefit. And finally, if you'd like to listen to all future episodes of the Innovation Book Club as soon as they're available, then please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, take care and we'll be back soon.